I'm excited about this morning. Um, there's, uh, there's some different threads that are converging in what we get to talk about today. Um, next slide, please. And I'm going to say this a lot because I actually wrote this sermon yesterday and I didn't have time to put together notes for Christine. So it's not that she's not on track. It's that she's just going to keep up with me and I'm going to say next slide. So anyway, so um, there's some different threads that are all converging in what we're talking about today. Um, uh, last week, we talked about the wall. And um, as far as uh, emotional health and just different things going under the surface of our lives and asking God to um, uproot anything that's in the way of the life of God, the freedom of God, the goodness of God being known in our lives, uh, we talked about the wall, which is something that seems like it was really deeply resonating with a lot of us, um, um, to, to recognize that the wall is something that God brings us to in our spiritual journey to say that um, it's not these times in our life when our spiritual momentum just comes to a halt and we can't get anywhere, that that's not necessarily brought on by sin or, or hardships or things from the outside, that it's actually something God's doing in our life because he says, I, I, I'm at work in your life. I don't want you to move any further until we deal with what's under the surface here. And I know that was really comforting for a lot of us to go, oh, oh, this is something God's up to, like he's, he's got a purpose in this. And, um, and my, my wall, uh, when I got to that chapter in, in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book, that's, that was the chapter where I was like, oh man, I want to talk about this with, with our church family. That was, that was months and months ago, but that was really helpful for me. So it was cool that it was helpful for you guys, because um, I've dealt with this. And then um, my own recently, my, uh, a wall surfaced for me. It became obvious when our church van and all the supplies inside got stolen. Um, that just felt like this huge gut punch, you know, just with, you know, just like appreciate you guys so much and everything we're doing to get a new church community started here. We're coming up on our one-year birthday as a church on Easter. Like, it's like, it's, it's cool. Like, there was nothing, and now there's something as far as a church community but man, when that, that van was stolen, I was trying to keep a brave face and everything, but that was a gut punch for me. That was really hard, even though, even though God totally provided and insurance and people being generous and all of us pulling together, even though, even though I could say, yeah, God took care of us and we're here and we have all the things we need, it still just, just took the wind out of my sails. And I've, I've felt like in kind of a wall season since then. And, I, and uh, it's been a comfort to me to know that when God brings us to a wall, my part is surrender. My part is trust. My part is to say, okay, God, I'm not in charge of how long I'm at this wall. I'm not in charge of when this time lets up. You're in charge of that. My job is to surrender and to say, what do you want to do here? What do you want to do in me? And, um, but it's also been asking, I think, all of us questions of like simplicity to go, okay, all of our stuff got stolen. Uh, we had a very simple Sunday the next Sunday, but we were able to gather, and, and it, was, it was wonderful. And it just, it, in, a, in, a, in a cool way, it was a really refining process for us as a church to go, okay, what's like essential? What are the things we really need to be a church? And then what's the other stuff that's just kind of frosting? What's the stuff that's extra that's it's nice to have, but it's not critical? Um, that's been a cool thing uh, to, 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 to do that. What's essential for being a church? And um, here at Reunion, we'll, we'll find different language for this as, as we go, and at different seasons, there'll be newer and better ways to say it. But right now, what's essential for us as a church is three things, um, community, discipleship, and renewal, to be a community that's following Jesus for the renewal of Oakland. Those, those are the essential things. That's what God's called us to do, 
And in, in coming years, coming seasons, he may call us to different things. He may speak to different things to us. But right now we're focusing on that last part about renewal. To say, um, God, the renewal that you want to bring about in Oakland, the renewal that you want to bring about in my life, in my neighbor's lives, in this church, God, we're up for that. So what do you want to do? So that's, that's the part of this emotional health series has been that, to say, God, dig up anything under the surface that's blocking that renewal you want to bring about in my life. I'm open to it. And I want that. And so um, emotionally healthy spirituality, that's where we've been for several weeks. And, and we're going to continue in that. Um, uh, but we talked, about, we talked about this emotional health in terms of being like rooted in renewal. There's that picture of, of, a, of a tree putting down deep roots and just to say, okay, God, here I am. I'm putting down deep roots. There's this life I want you to bring about in me. And there's stuff under the surface that's in the way. So God, do what you want to do. Bring about that renewal. Let me be rooted in that renewal. And... Um, so now I'm really excited about what we're heading into next um, because now we're going to talk about rhythms of renewal. So rooted and now rhythms of renewal. Um, what are the sorts of things that we can build into our life that make it possible to participate in what God's doing, the renewal that he wants to bring about in my life, in your life, in the city? What are the sorts of rhythms, life rhythms, that are going to help us to sustain that, to, for, for more health, more life, more God speaking into a, a, how we are as a church, more of drawing us close together as a church family, more of getting us conscious of what's happening in the neighborhood so we can be part of what God's doing, things like that. What are the sorts of life rhythms where we can participate in the renewal that God wants to bring uh, about? And so um, if you were following the Emotionally Healthy book, there's going to be times that you're going to go, wait a second, I was really looking forward to that chapter. I was really looking forward to that topic. Don't worry, we will get to those things. Um, we're we're going to keep building on emotional health as we go, um, but it's going to be blended in with these different life rhythms that we're going to talk about. Things to say, how do I make room for this renewal to continue? But also, uh, now it's less inward-focused and now we're going, okay, God, as you're starting to deal with stuff under the surface, now, God, help me take my eyes off myself, trust that you're at work and doing what you need to do. Now, let my eyes go outward, outward to my church, outward to my neighborhood. Keep working on me, keep healing me. But Lord, now get me to the place where I'm, I'm not focused on myself. I'm focused on what you're doing in the world and being a part of that and, uh, and trusting that you're going to keep doing that work under the surface. Um, and this is going to help us address a different wall that's come up for us. Um, uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, we were in prayer for our friends and our neighbors. We were, we were praying in regards to just different barriers that we see in their life when it comes to them crossing the line of faith and either trusting Jesus and knowing Jesus and loving Jesus for the first time or barriers where they've had bad experiences, where they go, I've got a bad taste in my mouth for God, Jesus, Christianity, church, whatever. Um, so either for the first time, like God's not on their radar whatsoever, or they've got bad experiences, and you go, man, that's a barrier. Um, and as, it, as we were talking about them and, and, and sharing our, our, uh, our, our prayer requests for those different people in our life who come to mind, it became really clear that a lot of us uh, have that burden for people in, in our lives. And there's different burdens uh, and different barriers. And we, we, we want to play our part in what God's up to in their life. But a lot of us are saying, God, I need courage or I need wisdom. I need the right words. I need to have patience and trust what you're doing and not get ahead of you. Like we were all in different places with that, but we all sense that barrier. And um, the question 
for all of us is like, how do we, how do we address those barriers in, in, in people's lives? Because they've got baggage in, in, in their life or, or the way of Jesus isn't on their radar whatsoever. Um, Christians are the minority culture these days in the Bay Area. And just to know, like, how do I follow and represent Jesus when I might get some weird looks from people who either think make, they're making some assumptions about me that maybe aren't true, or they just don't know what I'm about and they don't even know how to make sense of it. They kind of look at me like I'm a space alien or whatever, like wh- for how I spend my time and what my priori- priorities are as a Christian. Um, it can feel kind of lonely. It can feel hard to represent Jesus in, in this part of the world. And um, and uh, at the same time, uh, we, we talked about this this morning as we were praying over this gathering, um, Bay Area life is just so frenetic and just people are just so hurried and burdened all the time. And you just, it's just so hard to have moments to just stop, uh, reflect, get some peace, to not feel like we're just being yanked from one thing to another. Um, some of us just to... Just to just to pay the bills, just to take care of the people that we're supporting. We're, we're just like, I'm, I'm full. I'm at my, like my max capacity. And then on top of that, I'm supposed to follow Jesus. How, how am I supposed to do that? And that can be a real burden for, for Christ followers where because, um, because what it is to follow Jesus, you know, if that's important to us, at the same time we're carrying, you know, we're, 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 we're just like, up to our limit as far as how busy we are and how packed our lives are, there can be this um, kind of despair that creeps in, this kind of self-doubt that creeps in where we go, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know that following Jesus is m- maybe as possible for me as it is for other people. Other people have less burdens or more time or, or less on their plate or whatever, but with everything that's on my plate, I don't know that I'm up for that. And so, um, so when we talk about following Jesus, um, we might not say it, but on the inside, we're like, I don't know that I'm up for that. I don't know that I have space for that. I don't know that I can do that, but we're embarrassed to share that because um, we just feel like, man, why, why can other people follow Jesus, but I, I can't? I'm just trying to pay the bills. I'm just trying to take care of my family. So um, I have no interest in being a community where we're following Jesus out of a sense of guilt or it's like a to-do list. Um, or an obligation, or just something we're doing to keep God or other Christians or the pastor off of our back. I have no interest in being that community whatsoever. I I want this to be a place of of rest and healing, and I want what Jesus is calling us to do to feel like just like a fire in our chest, something we're so passionate about, something we're so excited about, something we, we, we make room for it in our lives because we've been captured by this vision of who Jesus is, and we want that for everybody else, not out of a place of burden or a to-do list or anything like that. So the question is, how do, we, how do we live out the way of Jesus with all these other challenges of Bay Area life? Barriers that we experience with our friendships and people who aren't open to this, but also the barriers in our own life of just how, how ba- what Bay Area life is. What's, what's that look like? I'm really encouraged, and I hope you will be too this morning. I hope, I hope today's hopeful. I hope today is, is in, inspiring and helpful for you. I, I was fired up as I was getting ready for, for this morning. But um, I'm really encouraged by the truth that we are not the first Jesus followers to deal with barriers and challenges to uh, following Jesus in, in our culture. Um, the first Christians, they were not rich. They were not powerful. They were not influential. But their life 
got the attention of the emperor. And um, this is what Emperor Julian had to say about Christians. He's writing to some of his different officials. He calls them um, impious Galileans. That's his name for Christians. So if you see impious Galileans, that's what he calls them. He also calls them atheists, um, uh, which is interesting. So when you see those terms, he's describing Christians. So here's what he says. We need to pay special attention to this point and by means affect a cure. For when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by our priests then I think the impious Galileans observed this fact and they devoted themselves to philanthropy. The Galileans began begin with their so-called love feast or hospitality or service of tables, for they have many ways of carrying it out and they call it by many names. And the result is they have led very many into atheism. That's, 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 the, that's the PR for, for Christians back then. Um, so today's going to be kind of call and response. Um, what, what jumps out at you from what the emperor is saying? What, what just kind of strikes you as far as how Christians are described? What, what, what jumps out at you? I just would love to hear. Yes. Atheist. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Great question. Yes. So great, great point, Don. Okay. So yeah, he calls them atheists. Why? Um, in the Roman emperor, em, Empire, there were hundreds of gods. And when, if you wanted uh, fertility or a good season in your business or anything, uh, if you wanted success in war or a journey or travel, they had gods for all those different categories. Christians show up and say, no, we don't worship or give any allegiance to any of those other gods. There's just one. His name's Jesus, and I'd love to tell you about him. Um, but from Rome's perspective, to say no to all those other gods, it was, it was unpatriotic for one thing, because, wow, if you, if you guys tick off the gods, that's not going to go well for Rome. But also, what do, you, what do you mean that all these other gods aren't real and there's only one? And so them saying no to all those other gods and only f- following one, they, Christians got described as atheists. But not atheists like how we would think of an atheist today. Atheists in the sense of Wait, these Christians, they, they don't believe in all those other gods. They're just a bunch of atheists. So, yeah, great point, Don. What else jumps out at you about what he's saying, how, how, how Christians are being described? How does Emperor Julian feel about the Christian movement based on, like, his language, how he describes them? What do you say? So-called love feast. Yeah, when they celebrate communion and these meals and, yeah, he's not even really sure what to make of all that. Like, you know, they, they all get together for these love feast things. I don't know, yeah. Yeah. What else? What, anything else? How's... Yes. Yes. They're a disease. Yeah. We need to affect a cure for this disease that's plaguing our empire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He says more. This is our next slide. Why do we not observe that it's their benevolence to strangers and the pretended holiness of their lives that they've done most to increase atheism? I believe that we ought really and truly to practice every one of their virtues For it's disgraceful that when the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. So he's like, guys, we are are losing people to these Christians. We we have got to step it up. We we are falling behind. This is a problem. Um, The emperor suspects their motives. He suspects their motives. What's, what's What's his take based on what you're reading here? What's, what's his take on, 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 on the motives of the Christians? Like, yeah. Yeah. Belief. Yeah, the benevolence is not coming from a sincere place. It's, it's, they've, they've got an agenda. There's something going on here. There's something fishy. Yeah. 
Anything else? How does, how does, what's, what's, what's he think about their motives, their agenda, or just how does he see them? Yeah, Don. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's almost, he's like scandalized by the fact that, okay, I, if they were taking care of like their own poor, their own, their own crew, like I could see that. Everybody takes care of their own. He's like, but they're even taking care of our poor. What, what in the world? Yeah, he doesn't know what to do with these guys. I love it. Um, if, if, you ever, if you ever feel embarrassed to be part of the Christian movement, because, you know, Christians can do and say some pretty embarrassing, stupid things where you're like, I'm not affiliated with them, um, that will happen. Um, whenever you can, look back, because things like this that are in our family heritage, there's some beautiful things to go, that's what I want to be a part of, I'm so glad to be connected to that, and I want, to, I want more of that around here. So if you ever need that, just um, there's some great stuff in the past. There's messy stuff. There's painful stuff. There's stuff that is embarrassing, but there's also stuff like this where you're like, yes, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want to see around here. Um, 300 years before this, the disciple Peter, he writes to Christians who, like us, are the minority culture, and they're wondering how to live out the way of Jesus with all the unique challenges that they faced. So next slide, 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Can you read this with me? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So we, you know, we already read the emperor speaking maliciously about them and slandering them and not getting what their deal is. Um, but Peter calls this minority group of, of Christians that he's writing to, and us, he calls us to live our lives in such a way that it, it evokes a question in other people. Uh, the, the emperor had questions, but other people, uh, questions should be arising as they're going, you know, uh, what, why do you have hope? What's, what's your deal? Why do you live that way? Why, why, why? I don't know what to make of you. We should be living questionable lives. And I know usually when we describe somebody with a questionable life, we mean something else. But, but really, we, sh- we should be living questionable lives. People should not be quite sure what to do with us. We should be kind of weird, and we need to embrace the weird. Um, uh, more more on, on that a little bit as far as uh, living questionable lives but, and, and why do you have hope. Um, but when we're, when we're living questionable lives, that, that brings out a question in somebody. And, and if they have a question then it makes sense that then we would have an answer for their, their question. And so our answer for why do you have the hope that you do, our answer is the gospel. It is the good news. And I know that's something that gets thrown around in church circles, the gospel, good news, and some of us might have a, a, some handle on that. Others of us, we don't quite know what that means. And um, it's, it's the most beautiful, amazing thing in the world, so we should talk about it a lot. And so I want to uh, clarify that a little bit. Um, so we see the gospel at work uh, in the opening part of Mark. So let's read this, Mark 1, 14 to 28. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news, the gospel, of God. And this is what he said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe the gospel, the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. 
At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Okay, so here's Daryl Johnson's summary of what we just read. Next slide. The gospel, according to Jesus, is that the long-awaited time, the time for the living God to radically intervene in history, has arrived. This implies that Jesus moves the world into a new era in history. The time is fulfilled. Time, time for what? For the kingdom of God to break into the world. Immediately after Jesus' short but explosive announcement of his gospel, Jesus heals all kinds of sickness. Why? These actions prove that his gospel is true. God's new world order of light and life is breaking in. Um, okay, so what, what did you hear in Mark 1, or what did you hear in this Daryl Johnson quote that... Um, I don't know. I, I hope it makes your heart leap a little bit with some excitement. I'm hoping there's some stuff in there that you're like, oh, man, yeah, I need that. I want to see more of that. What, what jumps out at you in what we read in Mark or, or the way that Daryl Johnson kind of describes what we read? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The time has come. Yeah. Yeah, I want a front row seat to that. Yeah. Breaking in. Yes, done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's different world, new world orders that, uh, you know, have, have come out by different dictatorships or countries or, you know, any political campaigns that will be com coming out and the way people want to describe, oh, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to fix everything. There's been new world orders. This one that Jesus is bringing in, it would be described with light and life. I like that. That's how I sign off my emails if you've ever gotten an email from me, light and life. What else? Anything else jump out at you where you're like, ooh, want that, need that, want to see more of that? Anything from the, the, yes, Mary? All kinds of sickness, Jesus heals. Yeah, yeah. I want to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So, um, in light of his inbreaking kingdom, one of the things Jesus says, he says, the time has come, the, the, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is breaking in. Therefore, he says, repent. That's another churchy word that gets thrown around that we don't always totally understand. Um, it means, uh, met in, the, in the Greek, metanoia, change your mind, change your thinking. In, in the Hebrew, it means return, as in like you're going the wrong way, turn around, go this way. Um, so Jesus is saying, with how you think, with how you live, there's, there's got to be a response. Something is broken in that changes everything, and it doesn't make sense anymore for us to live this way in light of now what's happened. Now it makes sense to live this way. There's got to be a change um, a response to, to what's happened. So Jesus, he, I mean, he got people's attention when he showed up. 
And as we follow Jesus, according to Peter and lots of other Jesus followers, our lives also are meant to get people's attention. And um, it's meant to evoke questions, like the emperor's response to, to the Christians. The, the disciple of Jesus, Peter, he wrote to those first Christians and to us, calling us to live questionable lives. My answer, my, my, my question is, um, are we living questionable lives? If we think about how we spend our time and our priorities and what's on our calendar and our budget, are we living questionable lives? Or do we read that and go, oh man, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a few degrees off. Uh, it's time to be part of the Jesus movement and what's going on. And uh, Repeat after me, and next slide. When predictability is high, impact is low. Here, here's what that means. When, when people get what they were expecting to get, it has very little impact on them. Um, my, my favorite place to go with this is, um, for one thing, I love Legos, if that's not obvious, but uh, Legos recently, uh, not recently, a few years ago, came out with uh, Simpsons versions of the Legos, and so at, in my coffee stand area, I've got uh, Ned Flanders and Homer Simpson, and sometimes I remember and look at it and reflect on it, but these, these are a reminder to me of, um, I guess Homer, Homer is almost just like the everyman, the people in our lives who they've got barriers in their life where they're, you know, there's, there's other things on their plate and other things on their mind where God's not even on their radar whatsoever. And the relationship between these two guys is hilarious. Um, the first time Homer and Flanders meet, Flanders shows up at his door. They're next door neighbors. Flanders shows up at his door with a clipboard. So he's already got an agenda. He's already got something he, you know, he, he wants from Homer. And, uh, and Homer says, oh, the, the Bible dude, the Jesus guy. So he, 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 he already knows Flanders' reputation. And um, from then on, they just, they just, they, they're always you know, driving each other crazy and everything. Homer doesn't know you just can't understand Flanders for the life of him. They, they frustrate each other intensely. Um, but uh, the, here's the thing. Very little about Flanders' life is surprising to Homer. There's nothing that... He's, he's, annoyed, he's annoyed by Flanders, you know, but there's very little that he's like, oh, tell me more. That sounds great. I want, I want some of that, you know. He, there's very little questions coming out of him. The impact that Flanders has on Homer's life is very low because... Flanders lives a very predictable life as he's the Christian in The Simpsons. And if you, if you, I mean, if you watch his, his, the character arc in his, in his story, if you get Disney+, Plus, they have all The Simpsons episodes on there. It's time to watch it and just, it's hilarious, but also there'll be things that this guy does where you go, ooh, I've, I've done that. Ooh, I've said that. Oh, gosh, I need to make some changes. <laughs> but um, when predictability is really high, the impact is really low. This guy has very little impact on this guy's life. And um, a real problem in the church is that there's too many Christians who are living predictable lives that do not surprise anybody. Christians who pursue a fine, upstanding, middle-class lifestyle, that doesn't surprise anybody. Like, if you're just like a, a nice person, a good neighbor, cool, thanks, I'm glad you're a nice neighbor. Um, Christians who go to church and do churchy stuff and talk in a churchy way, that doesn't surprise anybody. Christians who live lives of don't like, that's how they're defined, you know, well, we, we don't drink alcohol, or we don't watch that show. That doesn't surprise anybody. They were, people were expecting that. Um, it, it, it might be a, a good, some good personal rules for us for how we want to live our life, but if we think that's our witness, if we think lives of don't is how we represent Jesus in the world, it's not going to have any impact. People were already expecting that. They, they already have a list for us of all the don'ts that define a Christian. 
we think maybe we're being countercultural by living lives of don't, but, but we're really not. The, the way, it, it, when people find out these things about us, uh, they just, their response is like, huh, or, okay. Translation, um, you're, I'm never inviting you to one of my parties <laughs> because uh, you're a wet blanket and I feel like people are probably going to be judged by you because um, you're just like a don't person. So, um, you know, you can just stay over there in your yard, in your, in your place. But, like, um, predictability was really high. We're, we're, we're just following the script of what they expected. And so our impact on people is so low. A life of don't, uh, Christians who just live a life of don'ts, that's, that, that, that's not going to surprise the world. What's going to surprise the world is a life of do. What, what are you for? What's, what's your deal? What are, what are you about? That part, that part has not been as clear lately for people. What, what are you for? And our life of for, a life of what we do, that comes from our understanding of what the gospel is. So it's really important for us to understand this new thing that Jesus ushered into the world, this new thing that's breaking in, and the life and the light and the healing and the restoration and the justice and everything that breaks in because of Jesus showing up, that should shape a life of, of do. That's where people are going to have questions, and that's where we can be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Um, our, our answer comes from the gospel. It comes from the good news, which means that we should be good news people, which isn't usually our reputation. We're usually bad news people. But that's got to change, especially in this community. If, if, if I have anything to say about it and do about it, we got to be good news people, be gospel-shaped people. N- another question, though, that, that might come up later, though, if I'm supposed to be this good news person, um, next slide, does, does that mean that all Christians are meant to be evangelists? After all, an evangelist, in the, in the Greek, euangelion, you are a good news messenger if you're an evangelist. Are all Christians meant to be evangelists? Um, most Christians I know, and I think if we all talked around here, uh, we don't feel like much of an evangelist. Um, people, people push you to invite or get out there and share your faith and, and just meet, just cold call total strangers on the street and just have a gospel presentation for them. That just totally freaks us out. And we just go, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I want to keep my friends. Um, it sounds weird. Uh, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to do that. Many of us have been told that we have to be evangelists and we receive this guilt trip to like step into our calling. Come on, like step into this, be a part of this. And I don't know that that's fair, and I don't know that that's true. Um, the Apostle Paul is probably the greatest evangelist that the world has ever known. And I think he would tell us that, no, not everybody is an evangelist. Um, but he doesn't mean that the rest of us are off the hook. Um, next slide. This is what he says in Ephesians 4. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers... But, but just, just key in on that first part, Christ himself gave. Paul's telling us that for the church to do its work in the world, Christ gave certain kinds of people. And these people are the gifts. Um, the, and this, this, I think, is cool, and I think it's helpful. They don't, they don't have these gifts. They are these gifts. It's very different. They don't just, like, possess the, that gift. The gift is, is, is who they are. That's what they bring in, in, in their essence, in how God has made them. 
Um, so when it comes to evangelism, God doesn't give some people the gift of evangelism. The evangelist himself, the evangelist herself, they are a gift. Um, but still, are all Christians evangelists? From what I think, from what we just read, it sounds like some are evangelists and some are other things. Some people are the gift of an evangelist, but then Paul tells us, but then also there's all these other gifts. But there's more. Um, Colossians 4, uh, next slide. This is what Paul says to the church in, in uh, Colossae. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. There's that answering uh, thing again. It comes up again. Okay, so, so check this out. Verses 2 through 4 are about Paul. He says, um, you know, pray for us. Pray that God would open a door for our message. But then verses... Um, uh, five through six are about us. So there's, there's two different roles being carried out here. Um, verses five through six are about the rest of the church. So in the first part, who does Paul ask the church to pray for? Who are they praying for? Yeah, pray for me, he says. Pray for me. And then the second part, uh, pray for me as I carry out the work of, evangel- of an evangelist. Pray as that doors would be open, that I could proclaim this clearly. The second part, what kind of life does the does Paul call the church to live among outsiders? What, how would you, just, in your own words, to describe the life he's calling us to live? Grace. Grace, Grace. yes. What else? In your own words, how would you put it? What's he calling us to? Hope. Love, hope, yeah. Yeah. That season with salt thing's cool. Salt makes you thirsty. We should make people thirsty for the life of God. People should be around us and be kind of like... Mm, kind of parched. I need, I need something. I'm, I'm thirsty. Yeah. Um, so, are all Christians evangelists? In light of Ephesians, Paul tells us that some are the gift of, the evan- of an evangelist and others are other gifts. And in light of Colossians, some are evangelists, but others are called to live evangelistically. We, we are not off the hook if we are not the gift of an evangelist. But here's, next slide, this is Paul's kind of twofold approach to how evangelism in the, it works in the church. We've got the gifted evangelists, and then, oh, I'm sorry, that was supposed to say evangelistic believers, not evangelists, so just pretend that I did the slide correctly. So top, gifted evangelists like Paul, and then evangelistic believers, so like the evangelist and then the rest of the church, Okay. So the gifted evangelist, their life priorities, according to Paul, is to have clarity in how they share the gospel. I want to, I want to proclaim it clearly to people. And they want to be alert to different opportunities. What's, God's up, what's God up to so that I can step into those opportunities? And their spoken ministry is just this bold proclamation of, of, of the gospel. And when they do it, being the gift that they are, it connects. People understand. Even if they reject it, they know what they're rejecting. And if they accept it, they, they know what they're saying yes to because that's their gift. Then the rest of us, the evangelistic believers, our priorities, we're, we're praying. We're saying, God, open doors. God, um, the evangelists in our church, give them what they need to do what they are called to do. 
we're supposed to be watchful. We're supposed to be paying attention. What's, God's, what's God up to? And we're called to wise socializing. Uh, that's that whole, like, let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. When we're with people, um, we're intentional about, about that time. What, are we, what am I doing? What am I saying? How am I coming off? I'm not just on autopilot. I'm here to represent Jesus. So am I, am I wise in my socializing, or am I just kind of on autopilot? And then gracious answers. Um, uh, when people ask, hey, what's your deal? What are you about? You don't have to have this like perfectly packaged gospel presentation, but just out of your own life to say, well, this is my story, and this is what God's doing, and this is the reason for the hope that I have. And we all have a different way that's, that would feel true to us for how we could say that and express that. That would be very authentic to, to say, this is who I am. This is what God's done, and make, make whatever you want of that, but this is my story. Um, but according to the Apostle Paul, not everybody is the gift of an evangelist, and maybe that's a relief for you. But all believers are meant to put on display in just everyday, ordinary ways um, what the gospel is, so that our lives are alerting people to the reality that, like, God's at work in the world. Something's up. Jesus got people's attention, and our lives should get people's attention. But some of us have unique challenges that cause us to wonder, like, am I up for this? Can I do this? Is this possible for like a single mom who's inundated with bills and kids' doctor appointments and daycare pickup and commuting? I think it is. Is this possible for like a hospital worker or just somebody who just had their, their schedules changing all the time? There's no consistency from week to week? I, th- I think it is. What, what this season of our church holds for us is not something to add, to tack on to our already busy lives. What God has for us is he wants to build something into our lives that's, there are things that are already in place, they just need to get redirected um, for who we're with and how we spend our time. It's not that God wants to add something to our list, it's that he wants to just work with the raw materials of what's already there, with the unique challenges and limitations that each of us are facing. All of us can take part in this gospel-shaped renewal that God's up to in the world, in our lives and in this church and in our neighborhood and with our friends. So in the next five weeks, we're going to talk about five rhythms of renewal, five life rhythms that are different ones of them either connect us more deeply to Jesus or they connect us more deeply to other believers in this church family or they're going to send us out into the lives of our friends and neighbors and at the same time are renewing our spirit. We're experiencing this renewal. We, we're, we're not drawing from an empty bucket. These, these rhythms are what it makes, makes it possible for us to practice the way of Jesus. In other words, discipleship. In other words, to, to, do, to be and to do uh, what Jesus has called us to be and do. These, um, these rhythms are going to make it possible for us to live out the good news of Jesus in just our everyday life. In other words, incarnation, to put this on display in real human flesh and blood lives. And, and these rhythms make it possible for us to grow in love for God and for our neighbors, which are the two greatest commandments according to Jesus, and then to grow in our love for one another, which was a new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples. These rhythms also just they make it possible for our lives to bring out questions for people, to, to alert people to the reality that God's at work in the world. What's this person's deal? What, what, what's going on there? There was a time when church bells would re- resonate out in the community, and that got people's attention, and they would stop what they were doing and would go, oh, it's time to, it's time to connect. It's time to, to, God's up to something. God has something to speak. 
that I need to hear. It's time to be with other believers. There was a time when church bells would go off and people got a very different response. Nowadays, church, church bells go off and people go, oh, how quaint, how cute. I like being in a neighborhood with a church. You know, it just makes me feel good. Just like that tradition, the history, but a very different response nowadays when people hear church bells. And so since that time has passed, our lives need to function as a bell that resonates out wherever we are. And so these five rhythms of renewal, um, they actually spell the acronym BELLS, um, but that's the idea there, that my life is resonating out. So um, next slide, it goes like this. Uh, B stands for bless, to say I'm committing to bless three people this week, at least one of whom is not a Christian, and more of that in the coming weeks. E is eat. I'm going to eat, I'm going to practice hospitality with three people this week, at least one of whom is not a Christian. L is listen. I'm going to spend at least one period of this week listening for the Holy Spirit's voice. And the other L is learn. I'm going to spend at least one period of this week learning Christ and his way to be human. And S is sent. I'm going to spend at least one period of this week reflecting back on where God sent me to put his love on display, but also reflecting forward and saying, God, where, where do you want to send me? What, what are you up to in my life? There's a lot more to say about this. Um, we're going to take each of these one week at a time, and for five weeks, we're going to explore what it would look like to integrate this into our lives, not adding something to our life, but saying, God, take the raw materials of my life and what I'm already doing and rework it for, for your purposes and what you want to do in the world, because I want to be a part of this renewal. I want to be a part of this Jesus movement. But more than that, we're also going to explore what it would look like to redesign our Sunday morning gatherings around these rhythms. Um, we weren't ready for it yet. I think we are now, and I'm really excited about this. Um, I, I really deeply believe that Sunday morning needs to be practice, needs to be dress rehearsal for the rest of our lives, for the rest of our week. We should be, what we are learning and exploring here should be safe space to try some stuff out that then we can carry into the rest of our week. It, if it feels totally separate from everything else and, and those, it feels like there's two boxes, there's like Sunday and the rest of my life, we're not doing it right. These times together should encourage us and equip us so that we are really able to practice the way of Jesus in everyday life with all the challenges and barriers that we face. These times should encourage us and equip us to grow in our love for God and for our neighbors and for, for one another. The goal is becoming who God meant for us to be. And so with time and with practice, these rhythms, at first it might feel like just something, you know, it might feel like a list. It might feel like something we have to think about consciously. But over time, as we build this into our life, these things, these rhythms begin to shape us and form us into different kinds of people. If we can commit ourselves to this, to say, God, change me, make me a part of what you're doing in my life. Renew me. I'm repenting. I'm, I'm, I'm reorienting my thinking and my life around what you're doing in the world. I know that in light of what you're doing in the world, there needs to be a response. So here I am. Here's the thing. Here's the picture. Next slide. With this, with this whole bells thing, Jesus followers who make a practice of blessing others, they become generous people. Maybe at first it's a habit, maybe it's something you have to think about consciously, but after a while, this sort of thing becomes second nature where it's just generosity is a part of who you are. Jesus followers who make a practice of sharing meals and eating with people, they become hospitable people wherever they are. They just see tables everywhere they are. How, who, who needs to be a part of this thing? Who can I include? Who can I, who can I share the life of God with? Jesus followers who make a practice of listening to the Spirit, they become Spirit-led people. Jesus followers who make a practice of learning Christ, they become Christ-like. And Jesus followers who make a practice 
of seeing themselves as someone who is sent by God, they become missional. They become a missionary wherever they are. Sunday mornings should shape us into these gospel people. And, and this is important enough that we need to create time and space for this because only some of us learn by hearing. Um, I, I, I want this Sunday, I mean, we did some call and response and there's been different things we will do in these services to talk with each other and engage, but I want more of that because only some of us learn by hearing. Some of us need to do something. Some of us need to talk it out. Some of us need to like present some challenges to other people and, and we, fle- we flesh it out as a group and figure it out as a group. So after Easter, there's going to be a Sunday that's focused on blessing, the letter B. We're going to spend most of our time on Blessing Sunday to just be a blessing to this school where we meet. That's how we're going to gather. Will we beautify the teacher's lounge or a teacher's classroom? That is entirely up to this group and what we figure out with like the school and any teachers who might be open to this. But we're going to talk about that next week and explore that, and then some of us are going to lead the group effort in preparation for the Sunday after, two Sundays after Easter, where we start to like, do this for how we gather as a church. Um, after Easter, there's going to be a Sunday that's focused on that letter eat, on sharing meals. Um, we've had a little bit of uh, some fun with that, with uh, after-service eat-ups and things like that. But the church, when they got together, they ate. They, 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 the, the Lord's Supper was a part of, what they, of their times together. We're going to spend time eating together and just enjoying the fellowship of our church family. And that's really going to breathe life into some of us. It's going to be a really beautiful thing. Now, what are we going to eat? And who brings side dishes? And how can we celebrate communion and have fun together and tell stories? That's entirely up to this group and the people who feel um, gifted and excited to lead that specific group effort. Other Sundays are going to be about listening to the Spirit, learning Christ, looking back on how God is sending us out into the community, into the lives of people who don't know Him. But if you can't tell, I'm a little excited about this. I think it's going to be really fun. Um, I would love to create with you guys the kind of church environment that we've been dreaming about. And this should, the life of Jesus should feel doable for a single mom. This, 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 this is the kind of thing that builds into our everyday, ordinary lives where we start to go, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing the following Jesus thing. It's not just for super Christians. I can do this. So, um, uh, next slide. These, these different habits... Um, some of these habits are going to connect us more deeply to God. Um, some of these habits are going to unite us with other believers. Some of these habits are going to propel us into the lives of our neighbors. Uh, lots of these habits are going to bring renewal to our own spirit as we try this out and go, oh my gosh, this, was, this is what God created me for. All of these habits can alert other people to the reality that there's a new way to live, a new way of life that's possible in connection with Jesus and his inbreaking kingdom. Um, so I just, maybe two or three people, I would just love to hear, as we've talked about this, uh, these, different, these different practices. Which, which one are, are you, who, who would be say, I'm, I'm excited about ways to grow closer to God? Who would say I'm excited about ways to grow closer as a church community? Who would say I'm excited for something that's going to send me out into the lives of my neighbors or renew me? Where are you guys at with this? I'd just love to hear just a couple, a couple of responses. Yeah, Don. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I'm here. From New Mexico. Now I'm here in Oakland. God, what are you up to? You, you sent me, and now where do you want to send me? That's beautiful. Thank you, Don. Somebody else, where, where are you at with this? What's, what's, what's resonating with you? Yeah, Mina. Yes. 
Yeah, fully human. I like, I like that you said that. Yeah, Jesus, teach me, teach me full humanity. You, you made me. You know what I was made for. And for any ways that I'm not living out uh, what, the, what this full human abundant life that Jesus talked about, show me. Show me, how to, show me how to do it. Show me how to be the human you meant for me to be. Yeah. Yes. Listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so listening for the Spirit and, and, and going, okay, I'm, I'm starting to get familiar. I know the difference between my own conscience versus actually the Holy Spirit's promptings and voice in my life, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting familiar. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. So to go, okay, God, I'm, I'm getting familiar with your voice. I know when it's you, and you're, and you're speaking to me. You're leading me. You're prompting me. Yeah. Maybe one more? Where are you at with this? What's resonating? What would you be excited about? Eating. Yes, Teddy. Thank you. Thank you. High fives. Yes. Yes. No. No, thank you. We, we were all feeling it. And um, eating, eating is great. And I really need to work on my dad bod, you know, so um, you guys can help me with this. But yeah, this group is really good at enjoying each other and making space for each other and eating together. We got some good cooks in this group. So guys, I, uh, we, I want you to have high standards, okay, for, for what is going to be on, on your plate and on your palate. Yeah. But um, this is going to really breathe life into our church to just have times to just enjoy a good meal together and celebrate what God's doing. And yes, awesome. Well, I want to invite up the worship team. Um, I hope you're encouraged to know that not all of us have to be all of the gifts that the church and the world needs. Um, In the coming weeks, we're going to see that we all have a part to play as a united body of Jesus incarnating the love of God. Uh, f- towards God, towards our neighbors, for this church family. But we all have a part to play, and we don't have to be everything. Um, it's going to be cool to see who has different parts to play so that we really are this body. Um, but let's go to God with our longings and our questions. Um, as we worship God, uh, we're going to sing that God would make us one. Um, so would you stand and we'll sing? <laughs>